Hello everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you. Our Common Ground Pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages on March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not. There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love. So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with he's just not that into you? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm there. So that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year. Chapter 16, Through the Trap Door. In years to come, Harry would never quite remember how he had managed to get through his exams when he half expected Voldemort to come bursting through the door at any moment. Yet the days crept by, and there could be no doubt that Fluffy was still alive and well behind them. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. After I graduated from college, I moved to London and started working in the nonprofit sector, much of which I loved. But after a while, I got the sense that I wasn't quite doing what I should be doing. And I started to think about graduate school. And there was, for some reason, a pull in me to look at America to come to the US. I had traveled there a couple of times before and I'd felt at home. And even though this was a big stretch and not many of my friends were making these kind of decisions, it felt like the right move in a way that I couldn't quite explain. And so when I did finally move here, I felt, you know, a little bit like this was kind of my decision and that I had reached here because of the choices that I'd made. But as I started to think more about it, I remembered that my parents had lived in the US for three years. And then I learned that both sets of my grandparents had lived here too. My paternal grandfather lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania as a child. And my maternal grandparents both lived and studied in Chicago for a number of years. And even my uncle was born there. And so suddenly this this new place that I had thought of as so foreign actually started to feel much more familiar because I had all of these family connections to America. And so I suddenly started to rethink how I'd ended up in the U.S., and I wondered, you know, how much of the choice of me moving here was really about my choice and how much of it was really predestined. And I think in this chapter where Harry is engaging in this final adventure of going through the trapdoor to solve the mystery of the Philosopher's Stone, there's, there's that same question of how much did we always know that he would do this? How much did he know that there was a destiny about him which would make him make this kind of choice? And how much is there a choicefulness or a destiny around what Hermione and Ron do in choosing to come with him? So I'm looking forward to exploring that theme of destiny in today's chapter. I love that way of thinking about destiny, that it's even multi-generational. And it's it just comes out in all of these complicated ways. And we don't know how different aspects of ourselves and our histories and our family histories are manifesting in how we live out our destiny. And I think your story shows that beautifully. Before we really get into our conversations about destiny, I think I'm destined to beat you in the 30-second recap, especially because it's your turn to go first. So are you ready to go? Bring it on. On your mark. Get set. Go. 
Harry, Ron and Hermione are stressing about exam results. They've, they've finished their exams and it seems like they have a week left of, of pure joy. But Harry has these horrible nightmares and um, is in real pain because of his scar. Um, and they learn that Dumbledore's away. They, um, they're told they're not allowed to hang around uh, the third floor corridor where Fluffy is. And so they go, decide to go through the trap door. They uh, stun Neville. They use the cloak. Underneath they go, there's plants growing. They have to burn it. Then there's keys flying all over the place. And they have to catch it and open the door. Then they have to, oh my God, there's so much in this chapter. I thought you hit a lot of key points. It's still my destiny to beat you. But I actually, your destiny is to make it. Is to make you succeed, Vanessa. <laughs> That's why this works. Are you ready to time me? Yes. All right. Three, two, one, go. Harry realizes that Hagrid was not given the dragon egg by accident and that he probably revealed how to get past all of the different stages to get the Sorcerer's Stone. So he, Ron, and Hermione, they have to stun Neville in order to go on their little adventure. And then Ron, Hermione, and Harry all do different things and their skills really come out in trying to get to the Sorcerer's Stone. Ron gets sort of sacrificed and Hermione also gets a little bit sacrificed but in a complicated way. And then Harry finds the Sorcerer's Stone and he opens the door. Close. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. I feel like we missed the excitement of the chess game and the potions and the logic skills, but, you know. It is your destiny to try to sneak things in in a Slytherin way. Vanessa, we both mentioned Neville in our recap, which is unusual because he only has a very small amount of page time, as it were. Why did you want to pick out Neville and this theme of destiny? Neville has this great moment in this chapter where he stands up to the trio. And what's interesting about him standing up to me is that they've created this monster, right? Harry and Ron and Hermione have been super supportive of Neville. I think that they have really contributed to Neville's confidence. And then Neville is using that confidence against them. And it's we're going to see Neville's destiny is to really be a leader and to be this great force of standing up to things that he thinks is wrong. But what's interesting is that it starts in this friendship, you know, his friendship with Harry and with Ron and with Hermione. That's so interesting because I read it not necessarily opposite, but that there was a sort of missed opportunity because the first challenge that they have to overcome is this plant, right, that wrangles them as they land on it, as they jump through the trap door. And herbology is Neville's favorite subject and his real gift. And it made me think, well, what would have happened if Neville was with them? He would have known immediately that this is Devil's Snare, that you shouldn't wriggle, that you shouldn't fight it, how you can overcome it. Because Hermione only, well, she remembers how to get rid of it, but she doesn't remember to use her one to light a fire. And if Neville had been there, it just it just seemed to me like an illustration of a destiny that wasn't fulfilled. You know, instead of talking about a trio, we could have been talking about a quartet and that Neville would have been an equal part of the team. So it just questions for me this idea of, of destiny that maybe we have many destinies, but we can only fulfill one. Or what that made me think of is that for this very logistical reason of a fourth person wouldn't fit under the invisibility cloak, that often our destinies are thwarted for like really silly reasons, right? And reasons that we often don't even understand get in our way. And I don't think I agree with you that there could have been an invitational moment here that Harry, Ron and Hermione just missed. There's certainly a missed opportunity of cluing him in as to what's going on, right? I understand that they have to move quickly, but why not create another ally? He could be on the lookout, a lot of things. But I love your point about herbology. I think that that makes that point very explicit. 
there's the obvious big thing that I feel like we have to talk about in terms of destiny, which is that these series of challenges that they have to go through are really set up for the trio to succeed at and have had some sort of destined component, right? So Hagrid teaches the kids how to get past Fluffy. And if they weren't friends with Hagrid, they would never have known that. So their love of Hagrid and their loyalty to Hagrid is what is allowing them to reach their destiny of getting the Sorcerer's Stone, protecting the stone. And then we really, as you said, feel Neville's absence in the Devil's Snare Challenge. And then the next one is the keys. And, you know, obviously Harry being a great seeker is really helpful in that moment. And then Ron with the chest and we know that he's good at chess, and then we know that Hermione is clever. And so it seems like with the right people, the people who you love around you, you're destined to solve your problems. You're destined to be able to conquer things. Yes. And I think there's one thing which we can't omit, which I had totally forgotten about until we reread this chapter again, is that when Harry and Hermione are advancing to that potions challenge, they walk past a dead or a knocked out troll, which the person who's already gone on ahead has completed that challenge so they don't have to redo it. This is such a strong reminder of the incredibly uh, frightening episode with a troll earlier on in the book during Halloween. And I don't quite know what to think about the fact that the troll is already defeated. Is that a sort of reward for the fact that they've already overcome this challenge earlier on in the year? What do you think that means? Well, I don't think they would be able to beat the troll without Ron. But I also like the idea that they are karmically being taken care of by their past selves, which is something that we see with the time turner later, that by doing certain things ahead of time, you can just take care of yourself later. So, yeah, there is an echo of that, that they've already done this. They don't need to do it again. But there is that explicit line about Hermione, like, having to crawl over this troll's leg. And I also wonder if maybe that's a confidence boost for her of, like, I've done this before. Bring on the next challenge. Yeah. Casper, can you help me figure out how the symbolism of the three kids and their relationship to their chess pieces works? Because Hermione is the castle. Harry is a bishop, and Ron assigns himself the knight. I mean, Ron Ron assigns these roles to everybody, but I do think that there's something in the destiny of this, that Ron is saying that he will try to be the brave one, but he will also be the first to leave. I I never thought about this. So this is very cool. And I think you're really right. You know, a, a knight is often a piece that after a couple of pawns go, a knight is the next to go. And so there's that kind of humility, which I think Ron, you know, Ron knows he's not the smartest. He knows he's not the, the most decisive or the best planner. And so he's willing to make that sacrifice. So I think that's really right on. Often a bishop is certainly a useful piece on the chessboard and often one which is the most difficult to follow as an opponent and so often the piece that will make a check or a checkmate. Um, so I'm it wondering... It moves diagonally, right? It doesn't move in a straight path in order to get its way and I'm wondering if we see that in Harry that he doesn't always go straight away but he has to take detours in order to get where he's going. Well, Hermione is much more following the rules type and is kind of straightforward just as a rook or a castle moves. Oh, I love that. And also, the castle is an amazingly powerful piece, right? It can move across the whole board. And 
if you get a pawn all the way across the chessboard, you get to turn a castle upside down and it becomes a queen. So there's this kind of like extra powerful wizardry imagery in that Hermione has this incredible capacity for magic, which is just waiting to be transformed. Oh, that's so cool. A quote that came to mind a lot while reading this chapter through the theme of destiny was the Lao Tzu quote, which is very famous, but it's, watch your thoughts for they will become words. Watch your words, for they will become actions. Watch your actions, for they will become habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. And I really saw that with the three kids that just in Ron's assignments, we are seeing characters and how Lao Tzu talks about we're seeing their little habits of how they're going to behave in this chessboard be an example of how their destinies are going to play out throughout the seven books. The final piece on that, Harry, is that, you know, if Harry is the bishop, that's a very religious name, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is that like priestly? How, how are you taking that? Well, I think you're right. There's, you know, there's a real leadership piece. And perhaps we could even talk about Harry ministering to Neville, particularly and really kind of releasing what's what's there. But I think I'm thinking more of the kind of sacrificial element of Harry and the religious overtones of that. And from a kind of Christian narrative, the idea of sacrificing your life for your friends, you know, that that's not unfamiliar if people if people know the story of Jesus and, and kind of the broad Christian narrative. But I know that we can see all sorts of different religious narratives onto this book. So I don't want to push that point too hard. But it does strike me that there's that religious language there, which which comes up quite unexpectedly. Casper, this is going to be our last Havruta for a little while, and I'm really excited to bring you this question, which is, so Hermione and Harry have, or it's just the two of them now, and they go into a room, which is sort of the antechamber before the final challenge, and they walk into this room and there are seven potions out. And some of them will kill you. Some of them are just wine. One of them will help you escape, and the other one will allow one person to go into the next room. And as soon as they get the riddle to help them figure out what is going to happen, Hermione is like, oh, phew, this is a simple problem. But I'm curious, how does Hermione know that we already know that somebody has come in before them? There's the bent wing on one of the keys, and then there's, you know, this killed troll. How does Hermione know that the potions haven't been messed up in terms of their order, which is what the riddle is based on? That's a good question, Vanessa, but you have to give me an answer first. I just, I think Hermione believes in fairness of play, and we've seen that before. She believes, right, that if if she can raise her hand high enough, the teacher is going to call on her. And so I'm wondering if her character is what is allowing her destiny of solving this riddle to come through, because the fact that she believes that if you follow the rules and if you read carefully and if you do the challenge in front of you, it will pay off. I just I think Hermione believes in magic. I think she just has faith in that system. And it turns out to be true. I think the best answer I can come up with is that she's really good at pattern recognition. Because although there is a bent wing on the key with wings, and although the troll is dead, the chess pieces are back whole. You know, we know that they they get kind of broken to pieces when they get knocked off the chessboard. So all of them are back whole on the board. Um, we know 
that the plant has regrown, the devil snare has regrown. There's no real um, damage. So perhaps, you know, she's just seeing, okay, well, two things so far have regenerated magically. And I'm going to trust that this is a third piece of that pattern. But in response to your question about whether she has faith in magic, I think it's the opposite. I think she loves the fact that this challenge is not about magic. It's about reasoning skills. And she comes from the muggle world. You know, she is thrilled that she's a witch. Her family is thrilled. But ultimately, she's delighted that this, you know, doesn't depend on her one skills. It's really, uh, it's a math problem. So there's something about the delight that she has in the reasonable or in the, I don't know how better to describe the kind of the opposite of magic, but it seems that she has real faith in that to answer the question, even if it doesn't answer the question of why it's back to normal and why we should trust that. So maybe it's a mix of both. Maybe she has faith in the combination of where she comes from and what she's the skill she's building now at Hogwarts, that she trusts the system of magic enough for those bottles to be rearranged and refilled, but she trusts her reasoning skills and her muggle home life enough to figure out the problem. So Hermione really is like extra destined to solve this problem because it's both a muggle problem and a magical one. And so she's sort of the only one who could really do it in that way. Vanessa, as well as learning more about Hermione, I'm wondering if these series of challenges also have a a sort of moral message in them. We start with some pretty magical stuff, Devil's Snare, this kind of crazy plant that wants to kill us, the flying keys that have been enchanted by Professor Flitwick. Uh, then we, we become more human or more non-magical in the challenges that face us. The chess game, of course, they're transfigured pieces, but ultimately it's a muggle game. And then here, this riddle, which is really all about logic and problem solving. And we know that the final test that awaits Harry in the final chapter of the book is one that really depends just on Harry's ability to love and be loved, something which is, you know, more elemental than problem solving. And so it seems to me that as we come closer to the goal of this whole book, which is that philosopher's stone, and if we read into that as some sort of image for what it means to live a good life or honor and justice and all these values that we hold, the way to get to them, yes, you you need some clever tricks and knowledge about Devil's Snare, but the closer you come to it, the more important are the things that we already have, you know, some ability to solve problems and, and love and be loved. I completely agree. And I, I really love that. I think that that is the overall message of the book. But I'll just say you're in America, so it's Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> you can take a boy out of England, but... <laughs> you took yourself out of England. You just told us the story. I didn't, like, take you out of England, and I'm not making you now say Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, this week's voicemail comes from Mika Herstan from New York City, and we're really excited to hear it. Hi, Vanessa, Casper... Ariana and everyone else there. This is Mika Herstan from New York City. First off, I just want to thank you for this beautiful podcast and all your engaging discussions on such a beloved text, and also for introducing many of us to this idea of sacred reading. I think there's a lot of us who don't feel that connected to the sacred texts of our ancestors, but we love the ability to now have these tools that we can use in our day-to-day reading to find more personal connection and more meaning in the text that we read. So thank you for that. Uh, But my question for you has to do with your discussion on hope. I know you already had a voicemail on this, but I really think it's an important point, and I think there's going to be a lot more examples as the series progresses to discuss hope. And so I just want to point out, Vanessa, I know you said that you think hope is something that should really wait till the end, that you think the epitome of hope is Hermione with her fingers in her mouth and 
I want to ask you what, what your thoughts are about prayer. Do you also feel that prayer is something that should wait till the end, that you, know, you can't replace action with prayer, and therefore you should act first and pray later? Or perhaps is prayer something that if you do it first, it can give you a sense of focus, it can give you a sense of self-acceptance and connection to the universe so that when you're acting, you do it more efficiently, you do it uh, with greater purpose. And then to flip that back, is hope perhaps a form of prayer? Is hope something that can give you uh, that sense of purpose and all those things? You know, if we jump further in the series to when Ron thinks he's given the lucky potion from Harry and that sense of hope then uh, makes him into the Quidditch star. You know, whether or not that hope was misguided, just having a sense of hope helped his action to be that much better. And so I just want to make an argument that hope, if it comes first, can actually be super valuable and that while hope can be seen as a tool, you know, of the oppressor or, or things like that, uh, we can use our hope. I think you also mentioned, you know, 2008 was this time of hope in this country because, you know, Barack Obama at the time, President Obama, uh, said to us, hey, we can make a better future if we hope first. And so I just want to make that argument that hope first uh, may be valuable. Thank you, Mika. Um, that's a beautiful response, I think, to that episode and one that really makes me think about when to hope. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe that gives me permission to hope before I act as well. So thank you for that. On the question of prayer, it's not a word I use very often, but the best definitions that I've heard for prayer are whatever helps me or you to get into a place where I'm coming from love. You know, if there are different ways to be in the world, one which is guided by fear and one which is guided from love, what helps me move from from fear to love? And sometimes that may look like someone kneeling next to their bed and saying words that have been pre-written. For other people, it might be being in nature or, or um, singing or dancing. It could be so many things as long as that intention to transition from you know, an ontology, a way of being which is afraid of the world to one which is about loving. And I think that your point about hope really fits in there. So if, you know, if I can do something, and it might be sacred reading, it might be responding to this podcast, if that helps me live in a way where I'm, uh, you know, the best person that I can be, then for me, that's prayer. This week, I am really excited to bless Hermione not for her strength, but actually for a moment of weakness. So we see Hermione fail in this chapter. She, Her knowledge comes to her immediately with the devil's snare. She immediately recognizes it, and she knows how to get herself out of it. But she really fumbles when she is trying to think through how to save the boys. And I think what we see in Hermione is her vulnerability. We'll see this again and again in Hermione, that she's not great at conjuring a Patronus. She gets stressed in crisis situations. And I love that we just see this weakness in her. And I think that if you're a leader, if you're a strong personality, if you're successful, it can be really hard to have these moments of failure and these moments of weakness. And she just follows instruction from the boys and then goes on to the next challenge and proves incredibly incredibly useful in these next challenges. And it's just such a gift to me to see that it's okay to fail and to not get embarrassed about it and just to let your friends help you and then to move on to the next thing and just not to dwell on our failures, but learn from them and get going. And so I want to bless people who are in a moment of feeling like they have failed something and just remind them that even our great Hermione fails and you just get up and you keep going. 
Well, my blessing is for Ron. So these go really well together. And I want to bless him because there's a moment where they realize it's a chessboard and they realize they have to play their way across. And the text says, Harry and Hermione stayed quiet watching Ron think. Finally, he said, now, don't be offended or anything, but neither of you are that good at chess. And I really love the way that we all know sometimes the situation that you're in, um, you know, it might be that you're with a group of friends or you're with your partner and you're in a kind of disagreement, but you really know that you're right. And Ron does his best so much by trying not to offend them. But to still be really clear, like the way we're going to win this challenge is if you follow me. And I just want to bless Ron here for trying to be tactful, but still being very clear about what needs to happen. And I think that's something, you know, that we can all benefit from sometimes to remember that, you know, if we really know something, it's good to speak up, but to try and always hold other people's feelings in, in account with how we share the knowledge that we have. So a blessing for Ron this week for being really smart and great. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, produced by Ariana Nedelman, Vanessa Zoltan, and me, Casper Kyle. Next week, we'll read the final chapter of Book One, Chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces Through the Theme of Love. Please subscribe and review to the podcast wherever you get it. It's such a good way to help spread the word. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, where we always continue the conversation, have some bonus content, and send updates and announcements. You can usually find our handle at HP Sacred Text. Big thanks to Jen Stark, our social media coordinator. Our music is by Ivan Paizo and Nick Boll. Thanks to Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, Lauren Taylor, Shane Bannon and Rufus, the Harvard Communications Office, the Humanist Hub, and our Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group. We'll see you all next week. And actually, the, the word omen appears in the chapter, which was really exciting, because we do choose these themes to read toward before we read the chapter so it's always a bit of a flash in the dark to, to know if it's going to really resonate but maybe we were destined to read this chapter towards <laughs> destiny <laughs> how many of our listeners just gagged ariana did <laughs>